Welcome to the Miami Valley Church Podcast. We're so excited that you are here with us. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you are going to hear today. We'd love to have you join us online Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at miamivalley.org. If you love the Miami Valley Church Podcast, subscribe to our channel and leave us a comment or rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Now go, love the valley right where you are. Good morning, this is Pastor Jed, and welcome to Miami Valley Church. We are a community of people who want to get the good news of Jesus Christ out to this valley and all over the world. But instead of doing it our way, we are asking God, how would you have us to love and share Jesus right where you place us? The first step in doing that is by trusting the Lord and doing good. As this valley and as this world are desperately looking for hope, we want to point them to Jesus, not to make ourselves or even our church name famous, but to make Jesus known. That's who we are. That's what we are about. And we are so glad that you are here to join us. You are the word at the beginning. One with God, the Lord Most High. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is! What a beautiful name it is! The name. name it is nothing compares to this what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus you didn't want heaven without us so Jesus Sin was great. 
As a community of believers, God has given us the verse, Psalm 37, three, trust the Lord and do good as our verse for the decade. And so as we've been praying through that, we have rolled out a challenge, the trust the Lord and do good challenge, which is raising $50,000 to be broken up into these three areas. 50% of that is gonna go right here to this valley because as God has placed Miami Valley Church here locally, we believe that is where we are to love and to share Jesus. 20% of that is going to go back into the question as we don't want to do it on our own uh, our own way. We are asking God, how would you have us to love and share Jesus? And so as uh, he starts answering that question, we want to be faithful. We want to be ready and obedient to take a step of faith. And then 30% of that is going to go globally because not only did God call us to love and share Jesus right here in this valley, but he tells us, he commands us to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. And so today you're going to get to see something a little different. You're going to get to see uh, that every uh, person who is impacted, actually every dollar that goes into this challenge impacts someone personally. Uh, one of the people you're going to get to see today is one of the international pastors that we work with who loves and shares Jesus on the other side of the world. And my challenge to you would be to pray for him, his family, and his ministry. Check this out. Praise the Lord. Pray for my children, Josh and Jacqueline must grow in the Holy Spirit uh, anointing and humble growth in Christ in society and especially pray for my ministries and fulfill the end times God's will and fruit of the spirits and led by the Holy Spirit and pray for us uh, spiritual growth so more to uh, build a relationship with God and thank you so much uh, praying for me and my ministries and especially God has given me the burden so when I was a child, childhood, when I was in childhood that time I heard one story that's good Samaritan story that day I inspired myself to do something for this society you know uh, Jesus shared this story with good Samaritan as you know all of you and I started the small, small good things for the people and that become a passionate for me to do more things. Is there any disasters, any fire accidents or any tsunami or any flood? Uh, I used to go to that and I used to help whatever I have and whatever I can support to them. My mission and my vision is to uh, no one starving for the food on the roadside. So myself and my team, safe team, social awareness for environment team used to go to and feed the roadside orphans. And God inspired me to build a one house to them. Uh, that is an orphanage home for the roadside people. So pray for them, pray for them. And you know, I have a film ministry and roadside uh, I have I want to share the gospel to the film so uh, people may see the Jesus on the cross and they will have some idea and they will know the Jesus Christ love and uh, his why he came on this earth just, uh, I want to make them the people to understand the Jesus love so especially uh, I'm praying for this year 2021 so spiritually and uh, you know socially so I want to show that Jesus uh, more and more to the people so much pastor and 
Almighty Chetsuvali elders, and pastors, senior pastors, and all the congregation. Thank you so much. Praise God. I have a college friend, a college teammate actually, who because of coronavirus since December the 27th has been on a ventilator. I listen to how his wife is still honoring God in the midst of that and I know my teammate's heart and I know how much he loves Jesus and how everything he's done in his life has been to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus. He's the owner of a food truck in the Los Angeles area and even in that work he he honors and he glorifies god and i just wonder how can that happen to him especially when i look at everything else that, at least from my perspective that goes on in los angeles why would something happen to somebody who loves god and is just trying to do right and not to someone else i think about him and i reflect and I, I become sad and i become irritated and i become agitated and it starts to to boil inside of me and then i start to think about even my life and i look around at my life and i look around at others who are doing things that just aren't things that are god honoring in fact i look around at other pastors that i know personally who whose churches are growing and ours stays the same size and i listen to what they're doing and this one pastor that i know very simply says without apology I could preach from Reach Magazine and our church would grow. I don't have to preach from the Bible. You know Reach Magazine, that little magazine that you get in your uh, mailbox that gives you coupons for, you know, buy one, get one free, or 25% off at Marion's or whatever it might be. I can preach from Reach Magazine and our church would grow. And I wonder, how can somebody not honor the Word of God and, and good things and positive things? And I, I begin to get agitated and irritated. And then I'm reminded of this passage of Scripture that we've been going through the last two weeks and we'll continue today and then wrap it up next week. That's Psalm 37, and Psalm 37 just reminds us that we're going to look around and, and there are going to be people who do evil, and there are going to be people who do wrong. And as followers of Jesus, we need to have a perspective. And Psalm 37, 1 says it this way, fret not yourself because of evildoers or be envious because of wrongdoers. It goes on in verse 7 of Psalm 37 to say, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the ones who prosper in his way, over the one who carries out evil devices. And then a third time, Psalm 37 tells us not to fret, and it tells us not to fret in verse 8 because it says this, fret not yourself, it only tends to evil. The more I think about it, the word fret we've seen together, it, it means to devour, it means to uh, become irritated, agitated, to become incensed, to let those things boil over and boil out. And when they and when they spill over, it's just more envy and it's more hatred. And this cycle just becomes vicious and it's not good for anybody. And God's word tells us not to fret. And so we have a choice when it comes to seeing how things are done and seeing how evil people get ahead. We can fret or there's another option. The other option is to follow the example of our Lord Jesus. And 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, God's word says this about our Lord Jesus. Jesus, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued committing himself to him who judges justly. Hang on to that phrase. He continued committing himself to him who judges justly. As you follow through Psalm 37, as we've seen, there's this there's this progression. It's fret not, because verse 2 then says, because our, our this, those who seem to be getting ahead, that's going to disappear. It's going to go away as quickly as it came, and God's way is going to be honored. Then we start to see uh, the psalmist gives us four things that we need to do. Instead of fretting, we need to trust the Lord and do good. And we looked at that and said, do you know God? And what does it mean to trust and to do good? And last week we said the second thing that we're supposed to do to overcome this, this tendency to fret when evil people seem to be getting ahead is we need to delight ourselves in the Lord and he'll 
Give us the desires of our heart. We saw that to delight ourselves means to be soft and pliable in his hands and to really love the things that he loves and more importantly just to love him more than we love the gifts that he gives and today we come to the third thing psalm 37 verse 5 it says this it says um, commit your way to the lord and trust in him and he will act commit your way to the lord trust in him and he will act verse 6 gives us the gives us the promise that goes with that it says he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday he's like if you are concerned whether people know you're doing it the right way or not instead of being concerned about other people getting ahead if they're doing evil or doing wrong just rest in this truth that god sees what you're doing he's honored by that he's pleased with that and when other people need to know if they ever need to know he will bring your righteousness to light and your judgments as the new day that will be crystal clear to everybody and the only person you need to be concerned about is him that i need to live my life for an audience of one and not be concerned about anyone else but it simply says commit your way to the lord trust in him and he will act reminds me of what uh, the Apostle Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at the proper time. When I humble myself, when I'm pliable and, and soft in his hands, he can do with me what only he can do with me. So let's just look very quickly at this verse on 37.5. What are we supposed to do? Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. So first it was trust the Lord, trust and do, then it's delight and desire, now it's commit and trust. If we're not careful because of our English language, we're going to think that commit and trust are simply synonyms, but they're not. In this context, they're two very specific words, and the songwriter demonstrates that the fulfillment of God's purposes in our lives depends on two related actions. And the first one is commit, and the second one is to trust. And so to commit this word, it tells us about a voluntary, voluntarily granting God ownership of our lives. And then to trust is acting in complete confidence, relying on God that he's going to do what only God can do and what he said he's going to do. So maybe instead of thinking about commit and trust because they're too close in our English language, we need to think about it in terms of, of what the words actually mean in their Hebrew origin. And the word commit simply means to roll. It means to roll, and in the uh, Bible and in literature, it's, it's used literally to roll stones away, to roll stones over uh, a tomb, to roll stones over a well, just to, to roll and to roll them away. But, but I want you to see it this way, to roll. In ancient Near Eastern cultures where this psalm would have been written, ownership was established by rolling a cylinder over the thing that was possessed. Maybe we could do it this way with a rolling pin. You know the rolling pin, right? You take it and you roll it out and you use it for your dough and it makes it flat. But I, I need you to think of a cylinder. This cylinder, it wouldn't be wood, but the cylinder would be made of stone. And in the stone, there would be an etching, a carving that when you would roll it out over something that was soft, don't miss that. Remember to light yourself in the Lord that we're to be soft and pliable in his hand. That when you roll it out over something that is soft, it leaves a raised mark so that you know who the owner is and each owner would have his his different seal or his different mark and so we think about it maybe in terms of signet rings maybe we're more familiar with that you take a piece of rack uh, of wax and you have a signet ring and you put the impression in it and it identifies the person who's the owner but in ancient near eastern cultures it's this cylinder that's rolled over things to to show a sign of ownership an unbreakable uh, covenant a, a bond and so when the psalmist says commit your way to the Lord, he's telling us that we have to allow God's seal of ownership to make its permanent impression upon our lives. 
let me say that one more time. We have to allow, voluntarily give God um, ownership of our lives and allow Him to make a permanent impression uh, over our lives. He tell us, he's telling us that God wants complete control over our lives. It's the seal. It's to roll, uh, commit, allow him to do that. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, God's word says this, In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, that the that the indelible mark that God puts on our lives is, is not just to be rolled on our skin or an outward symbol, but it's the indwelling spirit of God that comes in that proves uh, that we are his his spirit identifies with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. It's it's the seal that indicates possession, ownership, and authority, and we don't like that. We don't want to voluntarily surrender ownership of our lives to anyone because that kind of commitment is hard. But that leads to the second part of what it means to roll. When I allow God to roll over me and, and, and give him ownership of my life, and I'm marked with his uh, indelible, unmistakable spirit of God that lives and controls me, I can then roll over all of my cares and concerns to him. The scriptures say, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you, that I can just roll them off of me and place them on him because he wants to take them and he wants to carry the burden that I was never intended to carry. This idea of control this idea of rolling is used of Jesus. It's used, I think, of Jesus prophetically in Psalm 22, 8. It says this, he trusts, it's translated trust there, but commits himself to the Lord. And they will say, let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Since Jesus was soft and pliable in the hands of God, the Father. And, and there he is said, said, let him, and he's given him control. And then it's used while Jesus is on the cross as people are mocking him and they they wrongly quote the word of God that said he trusts in God let God deliver him now if he desires him for he said I am the son of God and Jesus had this desire to totally roll everything that was rightfully his onto God the father and to commit his life and to commit his way to him and I think that's why as Jesus comes out of the waters of baptism and you see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove the mark of ownership this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased it's just this sense that Jesus voluntarily gave his life over to the Father, and so I surrender all things to Him. So I, I roll this over. That's the first act to voluntarily give control, ownership of my life to God. But then it's marked by a second thing. It says, trust in Him. I think more literally it could be trust on Him. And we tend to think of these things as as things that go together, but but one is the mark of ownership, a deliberate, concrete act of allowing God to roll over me and trust is to rely daily and consistently on his reliability, to know that he's reliable, he's faithful to his promises. That's why it says that Jesus, he didn't revile and he didn't uh, act back out when he suffered, but that he continued to commit himself. He continued to trust and rely on God's reliability. Did you realize that it's possible to uh, give control over to somebody and yet not trust them? We do it all the time, but God wants us to do both things together. And then it says this, uh, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act or he will do. Just very, very straightforward. He's going to do what he promised to do. And if it's needed to make your righteousness and your right living known, he's going to do that. In an unjust and in an unfair world, he will do what you and I cannot do. Now, maybe I could paint this picture a little better for you. Uh, just a few months ago, 
I, I had a friend just call me up on the spur of the moment and my friend has a pilot's license. He said, hey, uh, would you like to go flying with me? I'm like, absolutely. I, I've never done that before. I've never been flying in a small plane. I'm in. What do you want me to do? And I just, uh, he said, just meet me at the airport. So I went, uh, met him at the airport and uh we got into the plane that he was going to fly. Friends, the minute I stepped into that plane, I surrendered control. I voluntarily gave control over my life and my well-being to this friend of mine. But I had to continue to trust him. I had to rely on his reliability. So we're sitting in the plane, I've surrendered control because I'm buckled in and he's gonna fly. And by the way, can I tell you, after the fact, I thought, never once did I ask to see his pilot's license. He just told me he was a pilot and that he could fly an airplane, so I completely surrendered control, not even seeing uh, his credentials, but trusting that he was reliable. So he's going through the checklist. I don't know if he was really doing what was on the checklist or not. I could see the checklist and I could hear him say check and all those kind of sayings. I could see him look at all the panels and all the instruments. And sure enough, then we taxi off and we take off. And I had to continue to trust him as that flight was going on. I surrender control by stepping into the airplane and I trust him as I rely on his reliability. And you know what he did? He acted. He did what he said he would do. He took us for a flight. We went up. We enjoyed the scenery. We enjoyed the flight plan that he had filed. Uh, he took off, he landed, and we were safe. But it required both of those things, uh, voluntarily surrendering control and letting him be the owner and then trusting his reliability to do what he said he would do. And it was a beautiful thing. There's only one moment where I questioned uh, his reliability. It's that moment when he looked at me and said, Tim, do you want to fly the airplane? And my first response was, literally, I said, oh, maybe a little bit later. But the more I thought about it, the more like, this opportunity may never come again. And I actually have a picture uh, of my friend sitting uh, on one side of the cockpit and, and me on the other. And he's got his hands up in the air and I've got my hands uh, flying the airplane. But my friend was still in control and i think that's the way it comes uh to follow in our lord jesus there comes a moment when we step into his plan where we surrender control you're in charge you know what's going on and then we continue to trust him and when he says hey you want to do this i think you have the ability to do this let's do it we trust him and we take those steps of faith and we commit our way to the lord we trust in him and we watch god do what only god can do that's what the songwriter says we're supposed to do why don't we do it more because commitment is hard. We don't like commitment. I think about the story that are that's told in Luke chapter nine about three would-be followers of Jesus. Listen to this, Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the ears have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But that person said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those who are at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here were three people that were would-be followers of Jesus and the first one steps up. And the problem for all of them is commitment. The problem of all of them is to commit their ways to the Lord. And the first one steps up and says, I volunteer, I'm in. Jesus evidently has been paying attention to enough of Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus stands for. And says, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'm gonna be mobile wherever you go. And Jesus just simply looks at him and says, foxes have holes and the birds of the earth has nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus said, I don't think you've really counted the cost of what it means to follow me. 
I think that's one of the reasons so many of us refuse to commit because when we really look and examine the cost, we don't want to pay the cost. The second person, Jesus says, hey, you follow me. And the person says, okay, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus' response seems a bit odd and almost a bit harsh. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go proclaim the kingdom of God. What this man was saying, and we see it in the in the language, what this man was saying was, let me first go bury my father. And by the way, uh, my father's pretty young still, and he's not sick, and there's no reason to think he's going to die anytime soon. There's just this sense of, uh, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you, but right now is not convenient. Uh, at another time. Uh, and a lifetime of saying not now results in a lifetime of saying no. And we don't want to commit now. We want to commit when it's more convenient. And following Jesus and committing to him will never be convenient. And then the third person said, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me say, go and say farewell uh, to those at home. And what we know is that this person really didn't want to go say farewell to those at home. This person didn't want to say farewell to that style of life. And so Jesus says to, to that person, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The first person says, I don't, I, I haven't counted the cost. The second person says, not now, but later. And the third uh, person says, uh, when I'm ready. And Jesus says, absolutely not. It reminds me of my college friend who's on a ventilator he and I were teammates, and I've thought and reflected on uh, some of our prayer times together. I've thought and reflected on uh, some of the chapels that we've shared together. I even went back and I found uh, one of the college classes that we took together. I'm old school, so I have lots of notebooks. And so I, I, I didn't realize this was in there, but in this college notebook, I, I found this note card. And on the on the back of it, it simply says number 456. That was my college post office box number. So I just put it in the mail, and he just hand wrote me a, a little card, this friend of mine that's currently on a ventilator. And up in the top corner, it says 131. And so as I think about this, uh, one week from today on January the 31st, uh, this card will be 35 years old. This card will be 35 years old and I've kept it. I'd forgotten that I had it. And and in this, my, my friend talks about uh, how uh, we want to continue to live our lives loving Jesus, not now, but all the way into the future. And I just know that that's how he's spent his life. But it, it requires commitment, it requires commitment as a college kid, it requires commitment uh, as, a, as a grown man. But most of us don't want to commit because commitment, we don't like what it costs, everything. We don't like what it requires, total obedience. And we don't like what it demands, faith and not fear. And so we're afraid when I think about that those three would be followers of Jesus Christ. In this class that my friend and I took together, one of the required books that we had to read was called $3 Worth of God. It was written in 1971, and I can quote to you the very first uh, paragraph of that book. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep. Just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And most of us, when it comes time to commit to God, that's all we want to give him is $3 worth because we just want $3 worth of him. Enough to carry around in a paper sack and when we need him, let's pull a little bit of him out and let him come and minister to this situation and then we'll put him back in the sack and we'll carry him till we need to use him again. And then when we've used all of that $3 worth of, of God up, if he's done enough for us, 
we might look to buy another $3 worth of God. But this book was written in 1971. My friends, do you see that? I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. And I see that in American Christianity. And I see so many people who fret about all the evil that's going on in the world. But the reality of it is we just want a little bit of God. We want to be happy. We don't want to be Christ-like. And to be Christ-like, he continued committing himself, rolling himself over, giving ownership to God, and he continued trusting him for everything. And I think we're afraid. And so I look at this and I wonder, do I just want $3 worth of God, please? I can remember our college coach telling our team on one occasion this story of a we, I went to school just outside of Chicago, so Chicago stories are legendary up there. And I can remember our college coach telling our team in chapel one day uh, the story of a, of a young man, a college student named William Borden. And William Borden in 1904 graduated high school uh, in Chicago, and William Borden was heir to the Borden family fortune. And as heir to the Borden family fortune, the whole world was his to go and take, and uh, his future was bright. And so for his high school graduation, his parents gave him a trip around the world. And during this trip around the world, young 16-year-old William traveled around the world, and he says in his biography, which is just fascinating, the biography is called Borden on Yale, Borden on Yale. But in his biography, he says, I began to have a growing burden for the hurting people of the world. And he would write back during this journey around the world that he was having this desire to be a missionary. As his parents heard that, they began to question, and they began to share that with his friends. And his friends began to write to him as he was across the world. And one friend wrote to him and said, uh, you're throwing yourself away as a missionary don't do that you have so much so much brighter future you have so many other things uh, to go for but the story as it's told when Borden received this letter from his friend that told him he was throwing his wife away took out his Bible that he traveled with and in the back of his Bible he simply wrote two words and the first two words were no reserves that he was going to live his life with no reserves Borden would finish his trip around the world and he would enroll in Yale University as he enrolled in Yale University, uh, he noticed that the spiritual climate on campus was non-existent. So he began to live his life outwardly and vocally for Christ. And the people uh, began to notice. And one of the things young William began to do is he began to hold a prayer meeting early in the mornings on campus. And he opened it up and it slowly grew. And during his freshman year, 150 freshmen attended this prayer meeting every morning at Yale University. But those that attended the 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 prayer meeting would say of young William, they consistently saw him make this decision. And William would say, may I say no to self and choose Jesus every time. May I say no to self and choose Jesus every time. And young William would continue uh, to live his life that way. And by the time he would graduate from Yale University, 1,000 of the 1,300 students would be attending that not just freshmen, 1,000 of the 1,300 students would be attending that prayer meeting every morning on Yale's campus because he chose Jesus. He said no to self and yes to Jesus every time. When Borden would graduate college, he would turn down sev several very important and, and prosperous jobs, and people uh, thought he was crazy, and they would tell him that he was making a mistake. And after graduation, the story is told that Borden would take his Bible back out, and underneath the words that said no reserves, he would write the words no retreats. Borden would choose to live his life as a missionary, and he had a burden for the Muslim people of China. And so as he set out at, um, 
as he set out to go on that journey to get to China, he had to stop in Egypt first where he was going to learn Arabic. As he began to learn Arabic while he was there in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis. And after contracting spinal meningitis within a month, uh, William Borden at the age of 25 uh, would die. It's said that before he died he asked for his bible one more time and in the back under no reserves no retreats he wrote these final two words simply no regrets and as his body and his possessions were returned to his parents they were able to open up the back of the bible and just look and say young william had decided that he would live his life with no reserves no retreats no regrets that's what it means friends to commit your way to the god to commit your way to god trust in him and he will act and i wonder for those of us today which do we choose $3 worth of God or a life that says no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Remember the choice that Jesus made. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued committing himself to the one who judges justly. And I don't need to fret. I don't need to worry about evil or wrongdoers if I will live my life. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Can I encourage you Stop settling for $3 worth of God. One of the things I would also encourage you to do is to find a way to take a simple note card and write somebody a note this week. You never know what they're suffering with. You never know what they're struggling with. You never know what your words of encouragement might do. They might mean so much to them that they hold on to it for the next 35 years because nobody else in the world has taken time to give them some encouragement. My friend, one simple note of encouragement can encourage somebody to commit their way to the Lord, to stop fretting, to commit their way to the Lord, and to trust in Him because one of the ways He's reliable in their life is through you and through me. Write somebody a note of encouragement today and you stop fretting Start committing and trusting your walk. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Hey, after hearing that message today, I want to check in with you and see where you are on your spiritual journey. Are you feeling alone? Are you feeling isolated? Are you feeling disconnected? Friends, we want to connect you with God and we want to connect you with people. So if you're feeling alone, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling disconnected right now, you have the opportunity to engage. You heard me say it earlier today. Miami Valley Church is a community of people. Friends, if you are feeling alone, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling disconnected, you can be part of community right now by engaging. Can I say this to you? It is unhealthy to expect a pastor to know every single detail that you are walking through if you don't share it. Every single week, we have a graphic up below that says reach out to us and let us know at start at miamivalley.org or text the number below. We have people right now who want to encourage you, who want to spur you on, who want to walk with you, praying for you and praying with you as we go through this journey together. Friends, we were not meant to be alone. We were meant to be part of community. Can I say this to you? Miami Valley Church doesn't exist for Sunday mornings. There are things all throughout the week to be a part of, to be a part of community. Have you shown up once to prayer night on Tuesday evenings? Friends, every uh, response that we get to start or every response we get to the text messages or every uh, conversation we have where people ask for prayer requests for things that they're walking through. Maybe it's even praises. Friends, we bring that together as a community Tuesday evenings. If you have never joined a prayer night on Tuesday nights, that is community. That is people coming together before a holy God 
and bringing those prayer requests together, lifting each other up, encouraging each other, spurring each other on, that is community. And so let me ask you again, are you feeling alone? Are you feeling isolated? Are you feeling disconnected? Right now, you have the opportunity to engage, but friends, you have to engage. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I pray right now for the one who is feeling alone, for the one who is feeling isolated, for the one who is feeling disconnected, that they would take a step and that they would reach out and engage. Father, I pray for the one who uh, is, is wrestling because they have drifted from you. God, I pray right now as you are inviting them, as you are calling them into a deeper relationship with you, God, that they would engage, that they would get connected so that we can point them back to you, God, and encourage them and spur them on. Father, I pray right now for the one who has never said yes to you, that they would invite Jesus Christ into their heart today, that they would engage in a relationship with you and get connected in community so that uh, they can be surrounded by people who love them, who encourage them, and who want to share Jesus right here in this valley and all over the world. God, we thank you for the way that you are leading us, for your word today, and just for the great things that you have before us. Father, we love you so very much. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you.